Welcome to the Kata Brothers Travel Club, a travel podcast where we explore some of the best destinations through interesting stories from locals and people that have had meaningful experiences around the world. We started this podcast to connect with friends, both old and new, to learn important lessons through traveling. We hope you get as much out of these adventures as we do. Before we get started, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or the follow button on Spotify, so you're always notified when new episodes drop, and so you're officially a member of the Travel Club. Now, grab your passport, because we got a flight to catch. Hey everyone, Jared and Brendan here for another episode of the Cotta Brothers Travel Club. Now, if you've joined us for the first seven episodes, we want to say thank you. We just hit over 200 plays and we feel like people are really coming together here to learn about the big wide world and the people that inhabit it. This episode is going to be pretty unique and a little different because it is our first non-city guide style episode. We love exploring the world through our friends and getting tips about different destinations, but that's not the only reason we started this podcast. We also wanted to pull out some of the best travel stories from people we knew and hear about their adventures around the world, regardless of where they might live full time. We have so many friends that have traveled far and wide, and this is our way to catch up with them and learn about their experiences traveling. But don't worry, we are going to be mixing in city guides and travel interviews from now on. So if you loved the existing format, don't stress out. Uh, But the world of travel is so broad, and there are tons of ways to explore. So today is an extra special episode, not just because it is something new for the podcast, but because the guest is our very amazing grandma, Letty Kata. Our grandma was a travel agent during the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s. And from her small town in the Central Valley of California, she went on some unbelievable adventures. It's always so amazing to hear her stories, and especially when you consider that traveling was wildly different back when her and grandpa owned their agency. Honestly, I think that it's because of the stories that she tells that I never take for granted all of the tools and shortcuts that we have at our disposal today. Like if I want to go to pretty much anywhere in the world, I'll set a reminder on my Google, like my Google flights. I'll use my phone as my ticket to get on the airplane. And then I'll use the internet again to find all the places that I should go in that destination. So it's like, it's crazy to me. And obviously it wasn't like that when she was exploring. And that's why it's super critical to hear these stories and also record them. Anyways, let's not delay anymore because this is such an amazing interview. Listeners should keep in mind that the era she was traveling in was right in the middle of the Cold War. And when US foreign relations were very different across the world. But Grandma was such a great explorer, and fortunately has an amazing memory to be able to retell all these tales. It was fun to watch her memories unfold as she got more comfortable with the interview, because when we first approached her, she was not really convinced that her stories about the Soviet Union and Communist China were going to be all that interesting, because from her perspective, on those trips, she was at work. The thing about traveling was, like I indicated to you before, we were working. And mm-hmm. when I went, I was not one to research to to find out all the geographic things, all of the cultural things. I was just schlepping suitcases, counting tickets, counting heads, making sure that lady's no longer in the restroom. She is with us, just kind of shepherding people along. 
And then once we got to the various destinations, we were very careful during our development of travel with groups especially, that we picked tour companies and tour guides and bus lines and hotels that would accommodate us and our friends with whom we traveled so that everything would go smoothly. You didn't want to be the ugly American. You didn't want to have disasters where you go into the hotel and say, we're here, and they say, who are you? So that side of it was really kind of my approach to travel. And when, I, when we talked about this earlier, mine are little memories, little glimpses of people and places and incidents you know, those kinds of things. So I don't know how much interest it would be, but I I came from travel because of your grandfather. Uh-huh. He was well, on Grandma, the city. Mm-hmm. Before, before you do this, we do want you to introduce yourself uh, to the audience just because uh, uh, this is a glimpse into what we're going to be getting into on this episode, which is, I think, fascinating. And I think our audience will agree, but they don't know you as well as we do. I see. Do I do I acknowledge that we're related? Yes, please acknowledge that we're related. <laughs> I guess it's actually up to you. <laughs> okay. Well, I say with pride, I am your grandmother, and uh, you are two of 11 of my grandchildren. You have been blessed with your grandfather's love of many things, travel among them. He loved it so much that after he retired from his radio business, Mm-hmm. sold the radio station, we immediately got into the travel business. And from then on, it was like a world I'd never seen, so much more than I'd ever done in my lifetime, whereas he had traveled more. It, it really is a gift to be able to see people where they live and how they live and understand. The differentiation that there are in different countries and different peoples always fascinated me. So, but, that so that's brilliant. my background. That's who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been interviewed a lot in my lifetime, so I really am. Uh, You're doing great so far. Yeah. <laughs> our grandma and grandpa on our dad's side raised their family in a small town called Porterville, which is in the Central Valley of California. They were very active in the town and owned many businesses there, including uh, radio and TV stations. That alone could be a whole other story. But today we want to focus on the origin of their travel agency. What had happened is that your grandfather served on the city council with a man named James Hansen. He started one of the first travel agencies in the whole San Joaquin Valley. And of course, your grandfather's interest in travel made them kind of have a common interest. So your grandfather suggested that I go apply or ask if I could be trained by Jim Hansen. So it uh, wasn't my idea. <laughs> but I found over time, whatever your grandfather thought I could do, I could do. So I said I would go talk with him and volunteer to work to try to learn the business, which I did. And he was so in love with travel, he being Jim Hansen, so in love with travel, the concept of people reaching out learning about each other and having them learn about you, that he brought a spark in me that I didn't even know was there. And at that time, it was the early 70s, 72, I think, and um, everything was manual. There were no computers. There were two huge books. One was domestic, one was international. 
every flight that went any place in the United States or around the world were in one of those two books. And you had to learn to find how to get from A to B. And then the third book had all of the fares, the cost of travel. And that was revised constantly because prices would go up and prices would go down. You would take the reservation information, call the airline direct, tell them what you needed. They would tell you whether it was able to be booked. You would book it. Then you would hand write tickets. There was one ride, two ride, three ride, four ride. And if you had more than four, you linked them together. So you hand wrote all the information on every ticket. And if you had like say three, four ride tickets and they were linked together and you made a mistake on the last one, you had to redo all three. There were no do-overs. That was kind of the beginning. And then (laughs) after we got into buying an agency, and opening an agency, then the airlines started allowing you to lease their computer systems. That really helps. You know, every airport has a three-letter code. Uh And to learn the codes and the language of travel was so much easier for me to apply to the computer because I'd been using the books for probably five years before the computers came out. So then, of course, Grandpa loved that. He always loved tech. He never wrote tickets. He just did all the business parts. So that gets me to to this question because you worked for Jim Hansen for Hansen. some time, and then yeah, two years. I worked two years, there. and then after the two years, did you and Grandpa purchase the the company? No. Did after two years, I opened an office in Tulare, which is a town about thirty minutes away from Porterville, because I didn't think it was right that I had worked for Hanson and then would go into the same business in the same town. So he was in Porterville and then I approached him though at that time when I told him I was going to be opening an office. And that's a whole other story. You just don't say I'm a travel agent. There's a whole application process, approval by the airlines takes something doing. But I did say to him, if you decide to retire, I'd like to have the right of first refusal. So after I went to Tulare, I opened the office, pretty much worked there alone, just had one part-time person. He called and said, we're retiring. (laughs) And so then we bought Hanson Travel. We were Travel Ideas. That was the name of our travel agency. He was Hanson Travel. So then we became became Hanson Travel Ideas. Oh, you kept his name on there. Oh, you never lose the name that everybody knows. You know, Hanson Travel was the go-to place, so we weren't about to, to not be Hanson Travel Ideas. And I say with pride, it's been in business 64 years, and they're wow. still there. That so, is amazing. That's so incredible. It is. Yep. That is amazing. So it must have been after you had taken over responsibilities of your own agency and then purchased Hanson Travel that you actually began flying out to different places. Is that right? Is that right? How many countries do you think you've been to? You know, I have really no idea. Uh, We never went into Africa. We went to Egypt, Tunisia, but I didn't get to go to South Africa or I didn't go to any, you know, of the wild game park parts Mm -hmm. of Africa. Personally, we took tours or or traveled with other couples or we uh, took groups on tours. And those are tourists but I feel like that's a good, honest name. And if you're a tourist, you're a good person because you're trying to learn and you want to see things. 
opening up a travel agency in a smaller town, you never know exactly how interested people are in exploring a lot of these destinations. So did you find that there was a big travel lust in Porterville that you were responding to? Or did you have to kind of generate it in the places where you were and then it, it followed from there? Well, I think the conception people have of small town is that people are happy in their own place. And in my experience, doesn't matter where you live, there's always something that stirs people to want to see something else or to see more. Porterville is primarily agricultural, which has two sides. It has extreme wealth. I mean extreme wealth because farmers, orange growers, do have viable cash that they can spend on things other than their household needs. And then it has people who are not so well off. And in each case, you can help them. The person who has the money and wants to do a lot of travel, you're there. Because people don't, didn't know, especially at the time, they didn't have any idea how to even start. You know, where do you, I want to go here. How do I get there? And then for those people who aren't traveling for pleasure, but have needs, someone in their family is ill and they have to get back home as quickly as they can, or they want to go home for Christmas or Thanksgiving, then you can help them. And at the time, because there weren't computers and there, there wasn't that ability for people to do things on their own, they did rely on travel agents. So we could see what we loved could be something people also would like to, to join you doing or be part of. In fact, when we first started, and Grandpa said, okay, well, you're going to have to be in the office, and this is what we're going to do. And I said, I'm not a salesperson. I don't sell anything. I said, I'm not asking you to kick tires in the used car lot. I'm asking you to fulfill people's dreams. So whatever they need and want to have, our job is to help them. That is beautifully said, and yeah. I think that it's sort of a part of the philosophy that I guess we've taken with this show is to create that interconnecting web across the world, even when we can't physically travel right now. And that's why we wanted to get the podcast up and running, talk to our friends that are living in unique destinations, not only for our listeners, but really for us, because we're trapped here uh, in our apartment. <laughs> I was just going to say, in these particular times, one of the hardest hit is the travel industry overall, every facet. So I would just say to you, as soon as it's possible and safe, people should go back to the travel suppliers and be loyal to the people who have helped you because they're going to be struggling. They're really going to need all the help they can get. So people should continue to use your travel agents, your preferred airlines, your preferred hotels. You've been to amazing places around the whole world, and a lot of them have over time become popular destinations. But you were there in, in a lot of these countries during times of considerable unrest and in some cases, political dysfunction. And that's something that I've always thought was very brave of you and grandpa to explore these places, uh, despite what I think the concept or the perception was back home. Some of the places that come to mind is Russia, which at the time was the Soviet Union, and uh, China, which at the time was being uh, run by the communist regime pretty, pretty heavily. To lead us off, what motivated you and Grandpa to uh, visit a place like Moscow in the 1980s? 
Well, it was a complete tour of the Eastern European countries and to Russia, into Russia, exit Russia to Scandinavia. It was about almost a, a month long trip. Uh, we started in England and picked up, a, a, it was a brand new motor coach. We saw Poland, went to Warsaw, and in Germany, it was still the East and West, and the Berlin Wall was still there, so we visited the Berlin Wall. And when we went into Russia, this soldier who looked 16 years old and had a coat that came up to his chin, you could just see his little face, his hat, and his collar. They put mirrors under the bus. They looked in all the overhead racks. We had to pull all of our suitcases out and take it upstairs in this building. And they went through everything. And I was a little concerned because one of the men who was with our group was determined to take some pamphlets about the Christian faith. And I said, please, here's the list of forbiddens. It's on there. You can't do any soliciting. <laughs> you just can't do that. And I thought, we're, he's gonna, they're going to go through our suitcases and they're going to find his little packet of pamphlets and we're all going to wind up going back home again. So anyway, he didn't bring them. That was okay. <laughs> and then we got back on the bus. They approved all of us, but we were strictly instructed, do not act in a friendly manner. Don't make jokes. Sit still and be quiet. And then the trip through Russia to get up to the point where we're going to leave the country was 12-hour trips on the bus through miles of beautiful birch forests. And where we would stop along the way, you never quite knew. The one bathroom I remember, the room was clean, it was nice, but there was every possible color, like the trash can was purple and the walls were green and everything was very modest, no amenities. But uh, the people, always the people, they were friendly. They wanted to know about you. You couldn't give them anything. You couldn't tip anyone. We had we had to convert money, you know, your marks, your pounds, your, your dollars. So we had their money to spend, but you could only spend it in the friendship stores. Friendship stores, for anyone that doesn't know, were established by the tourism boards and governments in many of these communist-led countries. They typically sold souvenirs and other necessities, and they only accepted the designated currency that was provided to tourists. By many accounts, something similar to this is still going on in Cuba, so it's common in these more isolated nations. Jared, that was a very interesting and unique time for Russia, and it's amazing that they were actually able to go and step foot in a place that was essentially the US's biggest enemy at the time. When I think about what the accommodations must have been like in Soviet Russia, I would assume that they were similar to like the dorms in the Sochi Olympics. But uh, Grandma was able to shed some light on where they stayed while they were there. We stayed in a hotel, a huge hotel in Moscow, and everyone ate together. So all these languages are going on around you from all these different countries. And you're eating from a buffet with food that you'd never ever seen before but you tasted it all and you ate it because that's what was there. It was clean. Everything was clean. It was, it was nice. And getting to visit places that you'd only seen in photographs, you know, the onion domes and all of the things in Moscow. And I'm not good at remembering the names of museums. 
I just know that these masterpieces were in there and you could walk up and touch them. You could really? just stand so close. There was no, some, in some of the galleries, there would be maybe a little old lady. And if you reached out like to touch a table or something, she would push your hand away. That was her job. Don't touch those. And others, you just, like I say, there was no velvet rope. You just walked up and you could just practically put your nose against it. So everything mm -hmm. was very open in that respect. That's incredible. We went shopping. We observed the shopping. We didn't shop. And you stood online outside the store and you went in and they said, hello, what do you want? And you would say, I want an iron or I want some towels. And so they'd say, okay, and they'd write it down and they'd hand the paper and you'd go to the next person and they would go in the back and they would bring it out and you would look at it. Mm -hmm. Then they would give it to the person who would wrap it, put paper, put the string around it, and they would hand it off to the cashier and they would pay and then you would leave. Any wow. purchase for, well, I, for, of any kind and everything was limited. There was very little. You couldn't, you couldn't buy more than a certain amount of almost anything. It put everyone to work. I mean, they were working. And that was kind of what it was about. I think that it came to me that what the Russian people have had to endure historically justifies why they tried communism and why the people could so easily, not easily, but that people would follow the rules because they had been oppressed. They had been infiltrated they had had during the second world war the nazis came in and they took every man and boy out of the village all the food anything that would serve their army and left the people with nothing mm -hmm. no way to grow food no seeds no and so you do develop a country that's so oppressed that it justifies then what they have done historically. That's interesting. You had a very real experience with what everyone's trying to get out of travel is going someplace that seems so unfamiliar and really understanding the people who live there. You came out with a very real understanding of Soviet Russia. I, I feel that way, yes, sincerely. And on the, on the topic of, of the way that uh, governments have been established in different countries, you also paid a visit to China, uh, really in the midst of its communist regime. What went into getting permission to actually visit during that time? Uh, that's part of the education of being a travel agent. You had to get permission and you had to, I mean, the details that are asked of you for every person who's going with you takes a lot of work. Um, and the, this is what I was told, and I think it's true. The conduit for the visa permissions or the, the visas and, and the permission to come to China was started by a man who sold feathers to the United States hat makers. And because he had a commercial connection, he somehow had the responsibility to be the conduit to get the paperwork processed. And that would have been a long time ago because Mr. Hansen's daughter spoke uh, Mandarin and she was invited early on to go 
that's another, you know, you find from people who have gone how they went. And then we always selected tour companies that had that all set up because we didn't have the skills to do that. So you wanted to make sure that everyone who was going on that trip had proper identification. They had their passports. They had their visa stamped. Everything was in there. And you worked with tour companies because in China especially, you didn't vary again from the itinerary. And they knew the things, the Great Wall, the Forbidden City, all the major places that you want to see. But we went twice and we did it as a cruise and you made port calls. And as an example, the first time we went, we got to the port city and we were going to go into Beijing and we went on buses. And then when you got to Beijing, it was the city was building. And so they were building skyscrapers and hotels, but they were using uh, wheelbarrows, mixing cement in the wheelbarrows and starting to build the buildings. Didn't see big machinery, no big high lifts. It was just uh, putting one brick on top of another, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people. We were on a bus in Beijing at an intersection and on the bus, you looked out the window and there was the whole street was covered with bicycle riders. That was all that they had. There were no cars, just bicycle riders and people walking. And the children always had bright colors on. Everyone else had either gray or dark blue jackets and pants. Everyone dressed that way. They weren't mm-hmm. in the army. That was just the style that you followed, but not the children. They would be decked out in fancy shirts and dresses and scarves and flowers. And because that was when they were limiting the number, you could only have one child. So a, a child was treasured and made as beautiful and it, they loved their children and they looked so healthy. We went to a kindergarten and these beautiful little children were on either side of the sidewalk as we walked into the building and they were singing us a song and clapping their hands. Did you get to talk to any of the, the people there? Did you have any interactions with, uh, with citizens that were memorable? Yeah, we did go into the apartment of the family. And as we were going up the stairs on one of the landings, there was a very petite little lady. And I looked down and she had the tiniest, tiniest feet. Her feet had been bound. And so you see these old cultural traditions. Mm -hmm. And then you see the new lifestyle of the young people with their children. As we got to go in and see their apartment and how they lived. And we, everyone had someone to interpret. They had a common kitchen on that floor of of that apartment building, everyone used the same kitchen, but they ate in their apartments and they had TVs and, but they, they just, with pride, they showed us our apartment and, uh, and it was very nice, far from luxury, but it was very, very nice and it was theirs. So that was important. We did have one occasion to go through an open market and they were selling all manner of food and, and products. And, I can't remember, I'm sorry, what town it was or what city it was, but there was a group of us and the people just stared, the the citizens who were in there shopping and selling things, they stared and stared and stared. And we realized afterwards how different we looked. And there was one African-American woman. And I think maybe she was the one, maybe they hadn't seen before. I don't know, but you stand out. And then there were times when we were going to, like when we were in that market, we were going to go one direction. Uh, no, 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 no. You're going to go this way. Mm. So you're always directed to what they want you to see. And uh, I just have to collect my thoughts a little. It's just random things that come to my mind when we're talking. 
Yeah. Your, your memory is incredible. <laughs> well, for important things. Speaking of remembering the important things, I remember vividly that when we were growing up, uh, our grandparents' house had this giant wall of photos and paintings from their trips all around the world. Yeah, as a kid, this wall seemed like 20 feet tall. Yeah. Unbelievably high. It was in this room with a vaulted ceiling. It displayed photos from all of the destinations they had been because grandpa took a lot of pictures when he was traveling. I think that this played a pretty big role in my desire to explore. I completely agree. And it was a long time ago, so it's a little hard for me to remember exactly what each piece looked like. But there are some that stick out in my mind, like uh, the one with the llamas from their trip to Peru. And in particular, uh, the one of grandpa and grandma standing on the Great Wall of China. So I had to ask her, what was your day like when you went to visit the Great Wall? Okay, again, we were bused there. And we walked, as I remember it, through a kind of park area that had large stone statues. And then you just go up the steps. You can enter the Great Wall. You know, you can see it from outer space. It is huge. And you can enter it at various places. They have steps that you go up. And then you just walk along the top of it as far as you want to go, as much time as they gave us. And uh, it's just walking on something that is that historic and old and seeing the purpose of it and see the, the country around it. It's just like, I'm on the Great Wall of China. <laughs> this is really <laughs> Because I told you before, my family vacations when I was a little girl was go visit my family. That was it. <laughs> so. Yeah. We definitely need to make an effort to go see the Great Wall. Because I think we found when we, when we were in Peru, seeing Machu Picchu. Yes. Yes. The, the history that you can interact with is slowly closing off as it becomes more popular, which is understandable. But to really experience it and to be able to walk on the Great Wall might be something else that could disappear in our lifetime. So it sounds incredible. And, and yeah, I know. Something that I really yeah. want to do. That's a good solid point because the places that we have seen, like um, the the stones in England, Stonehenge, when we went, you could walk through the stones. You could be right in among them. The next, well, several years afterwards, there's a chain thing all around it. You don't even go into it because some stupid people probably wrote their initials like I was here in 1999 or something. But yeah, there are things that have been closed down and will, or are destroyed. Like when you hear about the deterioration of the outside of buildings in Europe, some of the big cathedrals and, and some of the large structures are just deteriorating because of our nature. I mean, our, you know, atmosphere. What, what do you think about uh, restoration uh, techniques? Do you think that there is value in that? Or do you think that things should be left as is, as the, even as they deteriorate? I'm always one to want to have things restored to what it was originally as much as you can. There's a church in New York. People go there to learn the art of carving stone, of building with materials just with your hands, not using any mechanical devices. And then when you go and you see um, the statues in museums in France, when you go to the Louvre and you go to the different museums and you realize that was a lump of rock huge big piece of marble and someone chipped away and chipped away and made it and if something happened to that then then I wouldn't touch it because that's kind of an individual work of art you know you do as much as you can to preserve it keep it out of the sun or whatever you have to do but buildings are kind of different and I think they should be restored to what they were as much as possible.
as we talk about getting to certain locations uh, before it becomes impossible or as they close off, what is the destination that you recommend everybody visits in their lifetime? I'm not going to be specific because I didn't see the Taj Mahal because I know it's wonderful, but I never was drawn to see it. I would say to see nature, like to see Iguazu Falls, to see Niagara Falls, to see a, a stand of trees or to see mountains. We were in Greece and we went up the funicular on Santorini uh, and it's the all white island. I mean, the buildings are white, everything's white. Go see the, the natural things because that really, those will fade and they, they will go, they will be destroyed. They'll cut down trees, you know, something will happen. So I don't know, it's a hard question, Jared. I don't have, I, I like to, when I was meeting, for instance, with a couple and I would ask them, do you enjoy shopping and being in the city and seeing plays? Do you like to go canoeing? Do you like to go hiking? To try to find what it is that they wanted to see. And then when they decide, then you kind of have some ideas of things to suggest where they're going at that place. I like that idea. You know, it, it just the same way that you choose a movie or a book based on what you are interested in and what you mm -hmm. like to watch, the same applies for where you should travel. Yeah. And it seems like you and grandpa really had to have an interest in everything because no matter what they said, if you were along for the ride, you had to see the plays or go on the hikes. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you know, really that my gift in being lucky enough to be married to your grandfather was that he was interested in everything. Outer space fascinated him. He would love to have been an astronaut. He loved to go to museums, loved plays, loved to see live theater. Wherever we went, we always tried to see some live performance. We did, we had our choice in China to go to the circus or to the opera. <laughs> and so we went to the circus. That's what we, what we call Cirque du Soleil and you see all the gymnastics and all the theatrics. That's what we saw. That was the Chinese circus. You yes. made the right choice. It seems I did. Like. We did. <laughs> I, I have one more question for, for this episode uh, that has featured you, although we, we hope that you will come back on to other episodes and, and tell stories from the million <laughs> other places that you've been. <laughs> but this one, I, I, I formulated this question very strategically because I had originally written it one way, but I knew what your answer was going to be, that you would go visit family. <laughs> so. This is what I wanted to ask. If you had free tickets for you and your whole family to go anywhere in the world, where would we be going? It would be interesting to go to the countries of origin of each of the family members. We would go to Portugal, Armenia. We'd go to Israel. We'd go to Norway, England, Scotland, Ireland. We have such diversity that ours would be a world tour and we would have to stop in every country of one of our family members. Luckily, we have a travel agent to plan those flights. <laughs> yeah. You didn't say it had to be easy or that I couldn't afford it. Because <laughs> no, no, I you're right. Afford it. <laughs> I, 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 was, uh, I was right in assuming that somehow it would be related to uh, us. <laughs> Yeah, and for my own personal preference, I have enjoyed visits in France. There's some beautiful things um, 
In England, we had some wonderful experiences. Scotland was a fascinating country. Mexico was always a hoot. <laughs> we had a friend who was a priest in the Yucatan, and we would go visit him. And our experiences there going on the pyramids. You know, those pyramids are probably steps like six inches wide, and you're trying to get up and down and go to the top, and I hate heights. Anyway, yeah, a lot of stuff. Well, I, Grandma, I think that if I count correctly, you've been to almost all of the, the wonders of the world, except maybe the Taj Mahal. So we're going to have to do that on an episode. I was just going to say, uh, edit whatever. And if this wasn't what you had in mind, I'm not offended. It's just been so much fun to talk to you and reminisce because there's so many stories that I don't even think about. In fact, when I say, I think, you know, I was born in Minnesota <laughs> and I came on a train when I was four years old to California and I've gotten to do all of this stuff. And it's really kind of mind blowing, but it's a great life. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I would say that this episode has been better than what I expected. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to have to edit that much, although I will be putting out a, a complete interview at least to our family so that they hear all of, uh, all of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that ought to give us some responses <laughs> we just wanted to thank you from the bottom of our hearts we love you so much uh you have inspired both of us you and grandpa have inspired both of us in our love of travel and adventure and uh we hold that very dear as a as a character trait that we hopefully will continue to bring forward into our next kata generations that you are my pride and joy. And I'm going to cry. So, <laughs> all right, boys. Love Thank you. Thanks, Grandma. Bye-bye now. Thank you so much, Grandma. That was such a wonderful interview. It was amazing to talk with you. Brendan, I truly do feel like we received so many wonderful traits and interests from both of our pairs of grandparents. I am also really grateful that our love of travel was ingrained super early on by the Kata side of the family. They were such an inspiration to explore the world and not be satisfied with knowing only what exists in your comfort zone. We only have our Grandma Letty with us now, but our lives were absolutely heavily impacted by all four of our grandparents. This episode is dedicated to all of them. Our grandma told us that the way that our grandpa documented and chronicled their trips was through photojournalism. Um, so they have a ton of pictures from all their adventures, and we, we're going to be putting some of them up on our website. Yeah, 100%. We're, we're so grateful that we have those pictures and also now this story on record. We plan to come back to Grandma for more amazing uh, tales. Uh, this episode was really just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, but once again, thank you so much, Grandma. We love talking to you. Hope you'll be back on again soon. And for all of our audience, we hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll join us again next time for another episode of Cotta Brothers Travel Club. Thanks for listening to the Cotta Brothers Travel Club. This is a good chance to let you all know that we have a website. Go to cottabrotherstravelclub.com to find our city guides, travel essays, and the best way to contact us directly. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Look for Cotta Bros underscore Travel Club. We want to keep building this community of explorers, so please hit us up on social media or on our website so you can share your adventures and stories from around the world. Finally, we know these are challenging times, 
This podcast was our outlet for self-expression, and we appreciate our listeners, friends, and family that are helping us to make it possible. However, if you are ever feeling sad, isolated, or even displaced, please reach out to us. Even the most experienced traveler gets lost sometimes and needs some help to find their way. We hope you'll tune in next time, and most importantly, welcome to the club.